Hey everybody, this is Rob Lifo. We are back in the land of the Robservations where we talk comics, comics all the time, comic books, pop culture, all of it. And this is uh, from a perspective that I grew up reading, consuming, obsessed with comics. I started in 1975. We are uh, almost 20 episodes in and we are still uh, in, in the world of fan observations for myself and others. Uh, I have not broken into comics as yet. Uh, my, my, my comics career has not started. I, I, I you know, eventually we are going to get to X-Force and to Deadpool and to Cable and to, and to Captain America and the Avengers and Image and all that stuff. It's going to be very exciting. But but this is a very interesting time that we are going to discuss tonight. We are still circling in this 1986 realm. And the interesting thing about 1986, it is, it is wildly, widely seen as the death of the bronze age it's the death of the bronze era you know there was the golden age the silver age and there is the bronze age which i have just belabored the point of how important it is how it the bronze bronze age of comics is uh the age that you've been seeing since feige threw the switch and activated the marvel universe of films as we know it with Downey Jr. All of these movies have been dancing in the Bronze Age and so much of the Bronze Age is yet to come with Shang-Chi, with the Eternals. I mean, Captain Marvel with Brie Larson, it was set in the 90s, but it was a Bronze Age era tale because she launches uh, in her own title in the mid 70s and that's when she blows up. But so much of what's on the slate taskmaster in black widow is from the bronze age so thanos ruled the bronze age so so much of what marvel uh the mcu the disney uh films are still mining this they are they are deep drilling it but in 86 uh everything started to change and it's it's we're going to do a deep dive tonight i am not alone in this i have brought my my buddy my cohort, my comic book pal, uh, Jimmy J. Everybody say hello to Jimmy. Jimmy, what's up, buddy? Hey, I'm stoked to be here. And, you know, I'm really interested in this era. I mean, I, I find it completely fascinating because looking on paper, I should not have been into comics as much as I was during this time. It seems like everything super cool happened right before me um, because I was starting to consume um, – comics for me in 85 86 in i mean at the, by this time by 1987 the at the end of the that bronze age it's like i was a full-on wednesday warrior going to the comic store hardcore junkie and it seems like a trip because all this great stuff was happening in the the, the bronze age just a few just even a few years before and i would hear everybody in the clubhouse of, of, of comics saying, ah, oh, man, comics just aren't as good as, the, as they used to be. And I mean, that was the, you know, that was the, the grumpy old man who worked at Passport Comics uh, in Van Nuys and in North Hollywood. I mean, you know, he would, you know, he would hold court and tell everybody how the X-Men weren't as good and how Marvel wasn't as good. And, and I didn't have that experience. Uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me catch our, our, our audience up because, because this era needs a little bit of prefacing, and, and I'm, I'm going to just right out of the gate, I'm going to tell you, this is my least favorite period for Marvel Comics ever. It is it is, um, it is, is um, not even close. Like, I just am not um, just a fan of this era. And so Jimmy has sent me a photo that we've been passing around, and it came out 86, 87, and it really is a time capsule of what's going on. But... It's it's and, and I'll paint the picture for you. It's the Marvel heroes uh, standing side by side. It begins with the black costume Spider-Man that will later come off of him and become Venom. It's got uh, bearded, thick bearded, newly armored Thor. It's got Gray Hulk. He returns to the gray color. It's got Captain America. Is it Captain America? He's all black and red. It's it's U.S. Agent. But let me let me let me, let me kind of uh give some some background as to what's going on here so 
Secret Wars happens in 85, and we've covered in our podcast, there's a specific dedicated Secret Wars podcast where that is where the event stuff starts to happen. It's less talent-driven. Jim Shooter, who is the editor-in-chief, who is driving the Marvel ship and has been responsible for the rise of so much great talent that we cover here all the time. Frank Miller, uh, Walt Simonson, John Byrne, all these guys just blowing up under his regime. He let talent run. But around Secret Wars time, it's when this corporate structure begins to build around the the way that Marvel markets and prod, produces their 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 comic books because it, it's now based on sensationalism events that are less organic less from an artist's uh you know organic storytelling and more of hey let's do this let's push this button they've they figured out how to manipulate and get you to uh react to these these changes that they're pushing on you and it results in this line-wide change-up of the characters. As I said, and we will have it in the show notes, we will absolutely have it in the show notes so that you can see this picture. When we promote it, it'll be there. Iron Man goes from his traditional armor of, of gold and, and red to this silver and, and red. And, and in just a minute, I'm going to ask Jimmy, because again, this is a, a kind of a jumping on point for him. And, and at this point, I'm I'm over I'm at 11 years into the comic book business and I and I cannot stand this era this this is my least favorite era and I'm going to tell you why it's because and really we're going to really deep dive into Walt Simonson here he is kind of the savior of all this cuz he's the last Walt Simonson comes on to Thor in 1983 as Frank is leaving Marvel and going to DC as John Byrne is is really uh, he's in his third year on Fantastic Four. He's already done his five-year X-Men run. He's done everything. He's a little tired. It's like Walt doing Thor gave them like this last organic, you know, jump start. But then again, Jimmy, the U.S. agent, and, and you know, maybe that's Mark Grunewald's grand design, and certainly U.S. agent is going to be applicable. We're going to, you know, talk about his his coming on the culture soon, but Black Costume Spider-Man in Secret Wars gets a lot of play, right, Jimmy? I mean, that book blew up. His it gets, it gets tons of play. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, my friends were we were trading comics and things like that back then. And man, did I want that web of Spider-Man number one with the cool Charles Vest cover with Spider-Man in black in those early appearances where he's fighting. Is that web of Spider-Man? Is that web, web of Spider-Man? Web of Spider-Man number right. one. So, I mean, so that's, you know, the team up book. You're great with um, the numbers because you, you sell comics and you know how to track the heat on these. What is the spider amazing Spider-Man that has the first black costume that, that mimics the amazing fantasy? Oh, it's, it's Spider-Man 257. Okay. So, and, and at the same time you got him in the black costume in Marvel team up and in the black costume in secret wars. It's all like boom, boom, boom. Right. Yeah, so I mean, every, it seemed like every week there was a new cover with a new Spider-Man title with a black costume. But and, that was the one that that by the time it was Web of Spider-Man, I mean, I needed to trade. I mean, I was throwing in baseball cards, Don Mattingly, you know, some football cards in there, some basketball cards, everything that I could throw to get that um, that Web of Spider-Man number one with the Charles Vest cover, because to me that looked cooler than the other stuff. Now, granted, in 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 retrospect, that other stuff, you know, the 257 or the Secret Wars 8, all that stuff is worth way more. But man, I love that cover. So that's where I got fuzzy nostalgic. And right around this time, it's uh, it's it's Marvel's 25th anniversary. They're starting to put um, the anniversary um, uh, uh, specialty logos on their books. They have the specialty trade dress with all the characters literally all you know going on three sides of the uh three sides of the books and uh, that's in november 86 so um yeah I mean, again I, what Jimmy's talking about here is john Romita senior did a frame for and and one month it was everybody's portrait captain america's portrait spider-man's portrait uh, thor's portrait and what was framing them was all down the left the right and the bottom was this john Romita senior drawn collage of all the characters and and it's very memorable at the time 
I mean, look, you couldn't deny it. When 10 Marvel comics came out that week and hit the rack. And again, I am in a comic store. I am working retail at this time. So, I mean, like the Avengers one had the Black Knight. It's the Black Knight. You're going to see the Black Knight in the Eternal soon. So again, man, I mean, the bronze era is just, that drum is so loud. But but again, what Jimmy is saying, that trade dress where the thing and Black Knight and Spider-Man and Thor, it, it was it was impactful. And when I, when I see them, and, and Jimmy and I, we are part of a lot of different comic book groups. When people load them up now, there's that nostalgic pang. So, so and, and again, this is all part of what Jimmy's saying, the anniversary. And it seemed like Marvel was determined to get our attention by changing all the characters. You know what? And, and, and I think I was the target audience. Okay, so, so you probably weren't because you were around beforehand. For me, you know, I was, I was waiting, you know, knee deep into this. And so um, I felt like, it's the 25th anniversary. I felt, you know, I felt very caught up into it. And their slogan at that time was everything old is new again. And I had no interest. I mean, I was an X-Men junkie. So, um, and I bummed um, a trade paperback of, of the Dark Phoenix saga. So, um, and, and I read the the Wolverine miniseries by, by Frank Miller, Chris Claremont. So, I mean, I was a huge X-Men junkie. The Marvel Universe in and of itself, other than Spider-Man, really did not turn me on because I don't think at this point the Avengers were a really hot title. Oh, you know, worst um, era of the Avengers. War, I mean, I, you got to understand. I, like, like I, sometimes, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to drop this on the audience. Like, okay, so uh, like I said, from, from, from the Avengers, one... 41 when I jump on all the way through 202 is this George Perez, John Byrne back and forth. And it's the Korvac saga. It's Ultron, Bride of Ultron. It's Ant-Man turning on it on them. It's the return of Wonder Man. It's Squadron Supreme. It's Count Nefaria. It's Graviton that these are considered by the people of my era. And again, Jimmy, you know, I'm into original art. If these pages from Perez or burn, get on the market, people jump all over them. The, the desire for these, again, you, you the, the high rollers in the art market, that's the pages they want because they adore that era. And, and here's, here's where I'm going to get biblical on everybody. You know, whether it's Jacob, whether it's uh, the Israelites, and again, I'm a, I'm a Baptist minister's kid, and I was thinking about this today because I knew we were going to be talking about this, and I'm sitting there going, okay, a lot of the times in the Bible, and, and whether you believe the Bible or not, it, that doesn't matter. It's the stories and the parables and the lessons that I'm digging into here. Sometimes you had seven years or Joseph, Joseph, when he took over, when he, when he was in Egypt and he's, and he's, and he's giving Pharaoh the, the guidance. Sometimes you have seven years of plenty because you're going to have seven years of famine or, or, or you're like, you know, Jacob, and you work seven years to get the pretty daughter, and the dad says, "Oh, sorry, you got to work another seven years to get the pretty daughter." That, that first seven years gets you my homely daughter. Here you go. Like the Bible is full of like the seven-year droughts and phantom famines. And I am telling you, Avengers in 1980, like it had a five to six-year run, and then we entered into. I kid you not. That book goes into a tailspin. That is that that it it. If it's recovered, I'm still not aware of it, Jimmy. It, it and it started here from 80 to 83 to 84 to 85 to 86. Like like that book is is not a top tier book. I have reasons exactly. to why. Exactly, but it's you know to me it's it's crazy famine. because famine. We this, famine. So we live in this world that that with the MCU, how cool is the Avengers and Avengers Assemble and rah rah Avengers, Captain America. And Iron Man, but man, the Avengers was a just as a franchise was a train wreck. I mean, it it just was. So I got very caught up because I didn't I was not into these books at all. I was not into the rest of the MCU, but but you know, Marvel marketing, and especially I mean, and you could see that that right at this time, Secret War, you know, Secret Wars ended, Secret Wars 2, big success that Marvel marketing, they got me. They reeled me in with everything old is new again. So with this image, you had, and I mean, so during this era, you had you had Captain America became USA agent, and they introduced another Captain America, um, you know, to, you know, in addition to Steve Rogers. 
and one wore a black costume. One, you know, they had different ideals. And... U.S. Agent was cool. U.S. Agent was totally cool. Um, this is the beginning. Oh, they had great Mike that. Zek covers. They had those Mike Zek covers, yeah. and I got caught up into it, man. Like, who's going to be the next Captain America? And uh, I mean, there's, I mean, fantastic covers uh, with cool Zek covers, and I jumped and I jumped on that hard. But it seemed like that was going on. That's November '86. November '86 is also when Al Milgram. Okay, so you know, at the time, Hulk's not cool, but Hulk all of a sudden becomes gray. You know, so that you know that that becomes this jumping on point, um, and then at the same did, time, again, audience, you have to understand when Hulk first appeared, he was gray briefly, and uh, they didn't turn him green for a couple issues, and then he never looked back. But the gray issues mattered. Um, apparently, it was a color mix-up with the printer. Um, Stan didn't think green was a color that people would want. They they it, it literally kind of was a happy accident, but it did create this early few issues of gray hulk so when jimmy is saying they went back he hadn't been gray in forever so gray not being green is you know i mean come on this is the bill bixby lou ferrigno marketed licensed worldwide phenomenon is no longer like it's it's almost a bigger deal than spider-man getting that black costume and if i can just say like that black costume i think the reason it worked is it felt organic it felt like it was just a cool option. It wasn't like something that marketing came up with, even though it is not organic at all. It was made so that they could sell an extra toy as part of the Secret Wars line. But the bottom line is it's a great looking costume with the white spider and the white eyes and everything else black. The simplest costume just and, and today I just read an interview where Neil Adams bemoans drawing Spider-Man because of all the complications and how detailed the costume is and all the webs and the webbing. And it's funny because that costume eliminated all that. You just got that cool white insignia, two big white eyes, and you're off to the races. So Spider-Man in the black costume looked great. U.S. agent, great visual, looks great. The black and the red. And, and also in the, an aside, we've discussed this recently in the Jack Kirby podcast. I, I hit on the fact that in 1975, they had Cap give up being uh, – Steve Rogers gives up being Cap. He throws away the shield. He adopts a new identity. Marvel – it has occurred to me they keep going back to this. U.S. Agent was the other bite at the apple within a decade, within maybe 10, 11 years. They go back to this new Captain America that 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 upends, you know, everything we know, given that now, now there's another one and he's vicious. And, and, and U.S. Agent is like everything Steve Rogers isn't. He's not noble. He's he'll break your knees. He'll pop the teeth out of your mouth. He's he's brutal. He's vicious. He's cold, calculated. He doesn't have a real moral center. Oh, and, and, he did, and, and in fact, he did everything he could to get the job because Steve Rogers turns in the shield, says, I can't be Captain America anymore. And this guy, I mean, he orchestrated in his his PR people is very WWE, which, you know, which is funny because at this era, WWF is is rising with, you know, with Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania, but it seemed like it, there was elements of that happening in this book, is that there was a manager and he, you know, hired, you know, a bunch of goons, you know, for the U.S. agent to take out, and, you know, he was ruthless in trying to become the, uh, you know, the heir apparent, and, and, and um, the, so again, that you know, that was going on in, in that book. And it's just also funny. I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, the, the resets going on and it just seems that, I mean, this is Marvel is Marvel is, is marketing basically new Coke to a new generation. And, you know, for, you know, for that, I mean, I, here's the deal. What you just said, everything you just said about us agent is spot on. I was reading captain America still. It was the beginning of, of the Mark Grunewald era, which would go, a decade uh and this is it really gets its teeth fast he finds his voice fast and u.s agent is part of it and the fact that you and i are discussing it is because they're good stories they're really good stories u.s agent is a bright spot during this period uh black spider-man black costume spider-man is i believe a bright spot gray hulk is clunky and and the execution isn't there early on because Gray Hulk doesn't find himself until Peter David comes on, and Gray Hulk is a 
correct me if I'm wrong, that's Al Milgram who brings about Grey Hulk. Correct. I mean, it seems like, okay, so so John Byrne, he has his, his short run, but I mean, you know, it's it, it looks great. It's gorgeous. I remember going through, rifling through back issues, you know, picking that stuff up with Hulkbusters and things like that. But uh, Grey Hulk, these first these first chunk of issues, they're they're very you're right, it's very clunky. And until Peter David gets aboard with a being killer Todd McFarland, McFarland also seemed to to shift his style in the middle of that run too. So Grey Hulk didn't happen yet. Fetch didn't happen yet. Grey Hulk didn't happen yet. But it seems like it was part of this editorial direct you know directive saying, you know, we need to, you know, put a new new coat of paint on everything. And so Captain America had, had you know, you know, the the, you know, black suit. Spider-Man had the black suit. Hulk was gray. Uh, Thor um, happened to, you know, the, the next spring. I mean, Walt Simonson put him in a in a in it's he had his butt kicked basically. And, you know, so he wasn't as powerful. So he was aging. So that's why he had the big beard. And, and that's why he I, had the big clunky armor. The beard is covering scars. And but I'm going to tell you, this armored bearded Thor looked okay for 10 seconds. But this is what I was saying. When Walt came in with Beta Ray Bill and starts his just lightning, it, it, lightning in a bottle, just, it, I mean, Thor hadn't been this dynamic ever in my collection, in my consumption. And, and, but by this time, we're now at year three with, with Walt too. And he's right about to leave the book artistically and just write it. And Salby Sem is going to take over. So it's weird because again, I'm going to tell you, how did you, I'm going to ask you, how did you receive these books, Jimmy? You're how old? Okay. So I am in junior high. Okay. So I'm probably in about seventh grade at the time. So 13 years old and I want, and I try them all out. Um, because it's like, oh, it's not, it's not old cap. It's new cap. I want to see what's going on. And I was really into it for six months and basically until Steve Rogers was, was, was essentially out of the book before they brought him back into the book. Um, gray Hulk didn't, it's, I stopped with gray Hulk. Um, I mean, there's some Rob Morrow issues or, uh, gray Morrow, excuse me, gray Morrow issues. You know, I just wasn't, you know, as a kid, I just wasn't into. And there's even X Factor issues that I just, again, by Tom McFarlane, I wasn't into. But then he fought Wolverine totally into that. It was bloody. It was it was it was gruesome. It was tough. Um, so it took me a while to, to warm up to, to Grey Hulk. Uh, Thor, I tried out, uh, quickly put away. It was part of the Mutant Massacre storyline right around this time. So, um I, you know, I got caught up into, you know, the roadmaps and, you know, and, and needing those, those crossover issues, but wasn't into Thor and um, Iron Man, you know, I just, I wasn't into, okay, he keeps on fighting. It seemed like for about two or three years, Iron Man just fought, you know, Obadiah Stane and more versions of more Iron Men, you know, whether they're from Russia or whether they're from a different corporation you know, or whatnot. And so it just seemed very repetitive. So, um, so I wasn't, so all these books, you know, I tried out again and I wanted to like, you know, and I, you know, would point to my friends, Hey, it's, this is, you know, these are new characters again. And, uh, you know, didn't stick around. You oh, know, Iron Man completely lost me at that point because again, Iron Man comes off this like four year run with miscellaneous Leighton, John Romita Jr., Sometimes Jerry Bingham, it is the absolute best Iron Man's ever been. Never been better. Never, ever, ever been better. And the book is slick. The book is 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 so deep. Tony Stark has his demons. He's battling corporate agents who are trying to take him out. He's battling the government. He's battling supervillains. His heart's getting broken. He's got spies, corporate spies. And, and they're introducing armor after armor. There's There's... There's space armor. There's it's such an exciting book. And then this just I I gotta believe the sales weren't there either. And so I'm now I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak to like the retail end of things. Marvel had a powerful brand name. I've talked about it before. The Marvel Zombie is a powerful, powerful element 
You've experienced it. I've experienced it. This definitely was meant to get people's attention and, uh, and, and, and in lieu of, because here's the deal. Why are these books not as exciting to somebody like me anymore? Because Frank Miller has left the building. Walt Simonson is winding down and is about to leave, is about to pivot and go to X Factor, where he then starts drawing and kind of finding his juice again. John Byrne was doing one year on Hulk in 85, and it was the best Hulk had been like maybe in 10 years. But it was short-lived. He left to go do Superman. You got Spider-Man was, was the strength. I keep going. Spider-Man was strong. It had Ron Friends, John Romita Jr., uh, 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 Rick Leonardi. You had Art Adams doing the annual. It, it had the strength of the schedule in regards to the talent. But Frank Miller is now at DC Comics. Um, you know, George Perez is nowhere to be found. He is building giant towers, you know, up to the sky at DC Comics. And so Marvel is probably wisely trying to do the best they can and and titillate the readers with this all new shocking upending lineup, right? I mean that that's how it seems. Oh, it it seems like to, to the point, especially in retrospect, talent. Who needs talent? You know, we have ideas, um, and uh, and that's why I call it New Coke because it seems like it seems like that it was like a it was very corporate driven. And New Coke, I mean, th this is for 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 new school listeners. You know, you may have seen it on uh, on Stranger Things. But, you know, it was crazy. I mean, from in 1985 for about, you know, three, four months, they put away Coca-Cola and then they 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 introduced a new a new formula that tasted like other sodas. And there was a big public outcry and in a knee jerk reaction, you know, that was opposite of, and of new the Coke hype sucked. of new Coke. Right, let's just be honest. I tasted it. It sucked. Yeah, it, it totally sucked. It tasted like Pepsi. If you want a Pepsi, you taste you you, you buy Pepsi. Yeah, and that that's an insult to Pepsi. I mean, I I, I liked them both, and they both and and it's weird. I look these 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 Marvel books. They didn't suck, but it, it it felt like a hail mary. It felt like like you said, New Coke. They were trying to change it up and tell you, you know, we've we've improved this, but I, I just I continue to maintain, and I've I've got great distance. Between these comics, they just continue to come off to me as the lowest point for Marvel Comics. Even at this point, the X-Men books become very event-driven. Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, um, I'm missing one. There, there's uh, yeah, no, it's it's mutant. It it starts off with Mutant Massacre. That's it, Mutant Massacre. Is that yeah, not I mean, even and then even even their annuals. I mean, they they even got a taste of it before with their annuals with Asgardian Wars and and things like that. So, um, you know, yeah. so it was definitely it was definitely moving in this direction. And then it was it seemed like it was full full born. What, what, what rises Marvel to prominence again and regains the excitement, and we're knocking on the door. There is this new generation. I'm very, you know humbled and excited to be part of the new cast of talent that kind of came up loving all these guys. You know, so many of my podcasts mentioned Frank Miller for a reason. You know, he dallied briefly in Wolverine and produced the biggest selling Wolverine solo X-Men adventure ever. He, obviously, his Daredevil exploits have been, you know, told here again and again and again. Batman, he with one master stroke gives a template to Batman creates the moniker of dark Knight because nobody called him the dark Knight before that. Nobody that, that I knew nobody I'd ever heard. He, perhaps someone who had called him the dark Knight detective, but now it was the moniker so much. Frank, Frank was so electric in the way that he, you know, affected these books. John Byrne was, I, I talk about John Byrne's prime, his, his 10 years, it felt like he had a deal with the devil. He he was the closest thing to Kirby and that he could do two books a month. But as I've said, Kirby could do three and the, and the quality never shifted. But John Byrne could do 42 pages a month and you wouldn't blink. Walt Simonson was a force to be reckoned with, George Perez. But all that talent had seemed, especially at the retail end, and I've talked about this, DC now had the influx of talent. 
They had a very hungry George Perez who was flexing. Titans was a monster hit. The biggest book for DC goes on to crisis, right? Then you got Frank Miller coming over to do Ronan, then the transformational Dark Knight. You've got the homegrown. Yeah, he came from, you know, Marvel UK, but Alan Moore is becoming this tour de force uh, over over at DC. The, I, I, when I, when I spoke, speak about DC in 86, and, and we've talked about this, they had the mic. They took the mic because talent was doing exciting things. Marvel, to counter it, did these corporate things because – you know, I, again, the, the, Al Milgram, bless his heart, not not John, not John Byrne d- is not held in that regard. Um, talented guy, capable guy, uh, worked in the business for, you know, several decades, um, had favor under Shooter as well. Shooter really liked Al Milgram, but um, his, his Hulk is not resonant. And like I said, Peter David comes in and then teams with Todd McFarlane, then Jeff Purvis. Than Dale Keown, but and that that's what makes Gray Hulk like explode, like explode and and become like this this monster kind of phenomenon. But but you know you have to plant the seeds. It was just the 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 the, the roots weren't sprouting as fast as they did when when Peter you know became the gardener and started to tend to the Hulk. But I, I again Spider Man's good, and again with with talent. The X-Men, you got the Art Adams doing the fill-ins, doing the covers. He's pinch hitting here and there. Fans are digging him. Rick Leonardi is eventually pulled off of Cloak and Dagger, does more Spider-Man, but then is immediately pivot, pivoted to the X office at the in 86, 87, 88. You know, he starts becoming a guy that can give you six X-Men issues a year. Undersung, undersung, undersold talent. Rick Leonardi, great. But man, Jimmy, the talent pool at Marvel is is thin at this time. The Avengers went from again Perez Byrne to um Bob Hall, Gene Colan, Al Milgram, and then John Buscema doing breakdowns and Tom Palmer, you know, they, they kicked ass in the sixties doing the Avengers, but now they're coming back as older men and and, and they're doing a good job because they're so good at what they do. But the the lineup and the excitement's not there. So like you said, we've got this new Coke They've said, hey, we've made everything old is new again. Like you said, that's the slogan, right? Everything old is new again. Absolutely. But then, uh, you know what? I do think, okay, just like we, you know, we checked out New Coke, didn't like New Coke. We cried for the original and, you know, we cried for Coke Classic again. You know, I think that that's what that's what a Marvel fan did is that it made people want their icons to look like their icons. They wanted their Captain America to look like Captain America. They wanted him to be Steve Rogers. You know, I think they're really anxious, you know, a few years later when, you know, when, you know, Dale Keown had that big bright green, you know, splashy cover, um, you know, where they reintroduced, uh, you know, Green Hulk, um, you know, things like that. So I think that people, people were really excited on, on, you know, Spider-Man 301 when, you know, you know, Peter Parker is in, is in a, a, a traditional costume again. So I think that, that anytime that, especially Marvel, they like to try to get kind of their, Hey, we're going to do a new take on our icons. You know, it makes you want the originals. And I do think it, it is interesting though, that, you know, in the MCU and with Disney plus and, and the, you know, the fingers, the, the synergy, the Disney synergy, it seems interesting to me that they, they are doing a take on the U.S. agent um, and the, the black costume and, and the new costume uh, in with the uh, Winter Soldier Falcon series uh, coming up. And they've shown teaser images and things like that. So, um, so, you know, so, you know, I mean, I wonder how much that they are going to, you know, dip their toe into this pool. Uh, but it does seem like it's it's this definitely sets an, a precedent that when Marvel editorial they start going back and they start you know tinkering around with you know new versions of things it seems like no matter how much people try they eventually want their icons back and that seems to be my experience as a fan that seems to be my experience as as a retailer. And, um, you know, I mean, and that's, you know, that's been seen, especially the last, you know, the last few years, you know, even with, with Marvel, 
you know, as they've, if these changed from, you know, the Axel Alonso era, you know, into, you know, into the most current regime. I think people want their icons, you know, they, they like a taste. They like change, they like trying it out, but eventually everybody comes on back. So, so, so it really is, 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 um, it's really apparent to me that, and look, I love doing this show and because it gives me an opportunity to really obviously talk my passion, walk through, uh, all the comics history that I've encountered. And again, sometimes you just don't love that stuff. Um, and, and, and yet, but it's really, there, there's elements of what we're talking about here. We've got, we've talked about legendary runs. We've, we've talked about burn Miller. We've talked about dark Knight. It's going on over at DC and, and, and a key component. We had an entire episode on Marvel management. And this is where, again, getting back to secret wars, the birth of the crossover, um, Secret Wars succeeds beyond Marvel's wildest dreams. It is a toy line tie-in at its most optimal. That's how Marvel looks at it. You know, Mattel's come to them. We want to counter Kenner. We want to make toys. We want to have a comic book event. And as I've covered, and 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 the facts are the facts, the toys did not do well. The comic blew up, became their biggest selling comic book ever. Shooter then believes... I am the architect. I am the conductor. I know how to run the trains. I, I have a unique vision. He starts uh, putting his fingers in more pies, both John Romita Sr., John Byrne, reiterating here what we did on that Secret Wars episode and Marvel Management episode, tying those both together here, reminding people they both cite that Secret Wars is where, where Shooter kind of turned a corner, maybe for the worse, became more controlling, more... Uh, more influential in what was going on in editorial. Again, he said he was the perfect guy to do Secret Wars because he knew everything that was going on. He he was the conduit that everything had to run through. But also, this is the rise of Marvel marketing. And later in my career, they're going to be, become very important because without Marvel marketing, my guy was named Sven Larson. I don't have a uh, I don't have a uh, uh, a name of a guy back then. But Carol Kalis, Peter David came from early Marvel marketing and sales and i think again they had enough information now from the direct market that they could launch these di directives because that's what this is everything old is new again uh thor with the long beard and more heavy viking armor that he's never had before u.s agent and we should point out that u.s agent on winter soldier and falcon as as uh jimmy has has pointed out here he is portrayed by kurt russell's son wyatt russell and Goldie Hansen, and you, you've seen him in a bunch of movies, uh, some really, he's a really talented, talented actor. There was this cool kind of World War II zombie, Nazi zombie movie that came out two years ago. I The name escapes me, but it was a blast. He was the lead in it. Um, there's a movie called Everybody Wants Some um, by Richard Linklater. He, he's in that movie. He's a super talented, again, he's, he's Kurt Russell's kid. So he's going to be portraying us agent and jimmy and jimmy and i have said i think we both are in agreement us agent is a really cool character he is a um he felt organic in this hulk would i think peter david they took up the challenge of we can't abandon hulk after a year we got to stick with it did all of these guys get at least two years out of this did, did they all get like a two-year run yeah you know what i mean it, it seems like it it seems like that they got i mean that you know like the you know, the numbers match up. So it really is, you know, it, it seems like uh, that they didn't want to abandon it right away. Because if they did that, then, then you know, that's that's almost them raising the white flag saying, oh, we screwed up. But, you know, but by by giving it some time, you know, it definitely gave gave uh, new creative teams time to course correct, I think, um, my opinion. So, yeah, it's about about two years, about two years. I just feel like. Like I said, the, the talent had all gone to um, to 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 DC at this point. Or, or was pivoting, and and Walt was now going to go do his X Factor, which is unsung. Walt's X Factor is phenomenal. Uh, we we will get to it at some point, but his Thor run, I'm telling you, speaking from my own experience, two and a half years is the optimum time talent spends with characters. By that time, they've kind of gotten through a lot of the early stories, the surprises. They've they've uh, 
kicked you in the nuts. They've they've made your heart bleed. They've you know they've shocked you. They've entertained you. They've 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 moved you emotionally. And so after that time, the, the stay gets a little long, and uh, and they start to move on. But it's it's hard. It's just like it's just like when a, a team goes into a rebuilding mold. And LA fans will tell well, you, you know, well, absolutely. Since Shaq and Kobe broke up, Kobe got got those other two championships. They went there and, and restored themselves and went three straight championships. I mean, th- three straight finals and got two back to backs out of that. But then we hit the, you know, we're in a rebuilding phase. It's it's like sports. It's suddenly your talent moves on and not there are not ten Walter Simonsons on the bench. There's not ten Frank Millers. There's not ten John Burns. So that's where you go. Okay. We got to start, you know, maybe maybe doing system system sport system basketball. We're gonna run, you know, we're gonna muck it up with defense. Pat Riley didn't have the the talent on the Knicks, and he openly said we're gonna get physical. We're gonna slow the game down, make it ugly, you know, uh, make these guys uh, uh, pay for it in the paint, and it's it's gonna be something that you don't recognize if you watched me coach Showtime and New Coke. The the new Marvel, the everything old is new again, felt like a corporate kind of shift in tone because the talent had moved on and it was time. And I'm telling you, Jimmy, I've seen it. I've heard it. I've been in this business long enough. And the corporations who make the cartoons, not just Marvel cartoons, all the cartoons and 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 the characters become the story. The characters, you know, they and they they would prefer that you follow the characters than than the talent because that takes them off the hook. If you like the characters and you're buying the characters, it doesn't matter who's doing it. It doesn't matter who's writing and drawing it. I mean, right? Oh, it, it's the it's the old joke of, you know, from for a Punisher fan, you know, who's your favorite artist? Whoever's drawing Punisher. Who's your favorite writer? Whoever's writing the Punisher. You know, what's your favorite? You know, what's your favorite book? You know, the Punisher. Um, you know, I mean, which you know that was the you know that was the the old joke. But uh, you know what though, during this era, and I think that. Uh, you know, because maybe talent was, you know, long in the tooth or things were done formulaic. I think it actually set the hunger for a new generation to come in. And it set, uh, you know, it, 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 I think maybe this period also lulled, lulled fans kind of to, to sleep. So when, you know, your generation came in, your, you know, the, you know, what I call the pre-image, you know, the pre-image creators came in. It's like, it really was a jolt. You know, when panels start breaking and the, and the pages get bigger and things get splashier and it just seems like that they're, this really set the table for a whole new generation to come in and tell all new Marvel stories. But it seemed like that this was, you know, this was, you know, Marvel marketing, this was Marvel editorial, you know, you know, you know, setting this. But it seems like that there is a, you know, definitely a revolution that's that's about to happen. I mean, I felt it as a fan, and I mean, and I think that is why, you know, this is the end of the Bronze Age, and this is the beginning of a, you know, of a brave new world. And the guys, like I said, that that, that I broke in with, we all wanted to be the next Frank Miller, the next John Byrne, the next George Perez, the next Walt Simonson. We wanted to uh, rivet the audience the way we were riveted as the audience. We wanted to duplicate that experience. And the interesting thing, and what gave us our opening, and this is also going to give me a, a so we've spent a lot of time with Marvel. We always do. They're, they've been the industry leader for a long time. But at DC, two things. There's a there's a dearth of talent at Marvel at this time. The 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 like I said, there's not ten Walt Simonsons. So, so in the Bronze Age, you saw Jim Starlin, Howard Chaikin, who I mentioned a lot, but we haven't deep done done deep cuts on him yet. It's coming. Jim Starlin, Howard Chaikin, you had. Byrne, Miller, Perez, Simonson. Um, that that's seven guys, and 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 there's more that I'm that I'm not thinking of. Bill Sienkiewicz blew up. Um, does some really, especially on Moon Knight. I've got Michael Golden there. Now I'm coming around. Michael, I mean, there is so much talent, but those guys kind of disperse, and the new guys coming in, Art Adams, Mike Mignola, they don't do anything near monthly work. They're interesting. We, we pick up everything they do, but they're not, they're not monthly guys by any stretch so that there's, there's no 
capable responsibility. But meanwhile, over at DC, a couple of things are happening that echo this. You've got a new Robin. So no longer Dick, Jason, Dick Grayson. And these times actually match up. 85, 84, 85. Jason Todd enters the picture. A new Robin is going to step in to the role alongside Batman. Also, in the Green Lantern books, the complete shift to Guy Gardner was happening. In the regular Green Lantern book, Guy Gardner was suddenly, and he was a character that was early 70s, this other inheritor of the ring, because Earth had not just Hal Jordan, it had John Stewart, and now it had Guy Gardner, and he was kind of a prickly pear, kind of rough around the edges, but now they make him into this complete bunghole. And 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 what I'm getting to is so you got Jason Todd as Robin, you've got a new broader view on Green Lantern. As a matter of fact, John Stewart has also taken on a much heavier role in the in the in the Green Lantern. They're really building Green Lantern's cast out and Hal Jordan is taking a back seat as John Stewart gets more spotlight as as Guy Gardner and they are dressed differently. They have different modifications of the costumes. But then in Justice League, you know, you've got this lightning bolt of a talent called Kevin Maguire who hits the scene with the very first issue of the new take on Justice League, which removes Superman and Wonder Woman. And you've only got Batman and it's Captain Adam and it's Guy Gardner and it's Blue Beetle and it's Booster Gold and it's Martian Manhunter and it's Captain Marvel, right? Shaz- Shazam Captain Marvel. Yes, Shazam Captain Marvel. And, and who is the who are the females in that group? You have uh, Fire and Ice, which were, you know, I were new characters. Um, you had Black Canary. That's it. Black Canary. OK, Black Canary. And. And, and and you had this kind of different... Oh, and by the way, you also had, with these new characters, you also had Wally West as the Flash. Oh, yes, the new... Yes. He, and that, that launches post-Legends while, and, and, and post-Crisis, Wally West, Flash. And so, yeah, so the dates definitely match up. We so, I mean... Robin, we well, have Flash. Well, while crisis is, you know, while crisis happened and actually had these, you know, these big sweeping changes, it seems like, you know, Marvel was was definitely more, you know, cosmetic where where you know where the DC story seemed like it actually came out of crisis. It came out of this, you know, this big mega crossover and and how much the universe changed. Where you know, where Marvel again, it's just like ah, put on a you know, slap on a new coat of paint. I'm going to give a little love here to Kevin Maguire, who I had never heard of prior to the Justice League. Uh, he came on the scene. He His claim to fame was these next level, never done before facial expressions. Everyone had them. Everyone had distinct faces. They had distinct mannerisms. They curled up their noses. They puckered their lips. They had these, you know, c- crazy reactions from anger to like. Uh, the, the, uh, a look that said, I'm baffled, um, smirky, snarky, uh, just they, they did the most subtle of facial expression. He he used a mirror. Um, he, he took comics by storm. I, Justice League happens really more on his back than I think anybody's. Now, J.M.D. Matisse and Keith Giffen were crafting the stories, providing him with layouts. One of the, my exciting um, encounters that I had when I went to the DC offices after I landed the Hawk and Dove gig. I went to New York for a week. I stayed with friends. I stayed with the Kiesels. I stayed with my exec. I stayed with Jerry Orbley. All these pros that I had made friends with on the convention circuit as a fan. But I went into the office and in one of the DC had a much smaller kind of, I wouldn't even call it a bullpen area. It was just an empty room that artists could work in. And Kevin McGuire is there and he is drawing like a page to Justice League 7, and I am drooling all over. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this guy is in this. The, the office is in New York today. He's drawing in the office, doing Justice League pages. I can see the quality of his pencil, like the, the line art, the, the, the technique. And uh, he's very polite, very cordial, very, uh, very, very focused, very nice guy. But McGuire's penchant for these expressions, and you know this because you and I have talked about this. Set apart, set justly apart, and, and wrapping up this point is this is a piece of talent that DC broke. It was kind of like their Art Adams, 
and Terry Austin inked him early on, and then Al Gordon, really crisp, clean lines, very commercial. It could not be a more commercial, you know, look to this work and fresh, but he he delivers, he produces. It feels like he does 16 issues in the first year and a half, right? I no, mean, he he's 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 super hot. I mean, I mean, I think other than like having like a tight like one tight Templeton fill in, I mean, it's like like he's delivering and and it's it's interesting because I mean I think that that his work during this time and on that on those early issues of Justice League really you know like spawned like spawned imitators. I mean you know we talked about the you know the episode with with influences. I mean guys like Adam Hughes would come along you know a couple you know a couple years later and try to do you know try to do the the Kevin McGuire faces. And I can show you my early my my early uh sample pages that i was trying to get hired on and and the stuff that i revised uh i was absolutely trying to do kevin mcguire i mean those faces and the expressions it was a bar at the time and yes adam adam hughes definitely came from mcguire um profound influence right out of the gate phenomenon just a phenomenon and and really riveted i mean people that book was the toast of comics for a couple of years. Again, back to DC had the mic, man. And and again, whatever happenstance created Kevin Maguire happening for DC as opposed to Marvel. Um, but again, I'm sure a comic store, I, I worked there. We stocked more Marvel. Um, Marvel can always beat you because their lineup is deep, deeper. Their, their bullpen's deeper. Their bench is deeper. They, 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 they go 1 to 12, 1 to 14, 1 to 10, where DC will have three of the most exciting books in the marketplace at any given time in that 85 to 87, 86 to 88 period. Whether it's Watchmen, whether it's Dark Knight, whether it's Justice League, um, Howard Chaikin jumps over, starts doing the Shadow, Black, Blackhawks. They redo Green Lantern at this time, trying to follow the format of Dark Knight with the longbow hunters. This DC had two to three books that were super hot, but Marvel would be like, but we have 10 to 12 books that you can't live without. Well, no matter what you say, you're, you're going to buy. Like we, we started this off by talking about Web of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Marvel team up. Suddenly he's wearing that black costume in all those books, right? Exactly. And, you know, I'm a young fan. I need to, I need all of those books. And if I need all those books and I have 10 bucks and I have a 10 buck allowance, you know what? That, that's leaving a whole lot of DC on the racks. And that's just how it was. So, so we've covered a lot of bases with these kind of what these corporate shapings of the characters, the new Coke aspiration, which is we're going to give you, we need to, you know, sell more comics keep you more engaged, um, you know, stay competitive, stay ahead of DC. And so we're going to do all these things in our line, shake it up, get your, get your notice, get your, get your, um, you know, get some fresh blood pumped into here. Focus on the characters, character, 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 character. What are you talking about character? If you're not talking about creators, then you're talking about the character and the companies would always want you to talk about the characters. And my pivot here is, and this is where we will, uh, spend the last few minutes on this podcast is I'm, I'm reserving judgment. This is just an observation because this is a show called Rob observations in the last couple of years at Marvel, especially I think really in the middle of the Axel Alonso run with uh, original sin. And uh, what other, what other crossovers Marvel definitely wants one or two crossovers a month. And they feel like they're created at these corporate retreats where they go, what can we do that will shake up the status quo? Captain America's a Nazi. He's always been a Nazi. Very controversial storyline. Happened a couple of years back. Really blew up in Marvel's faces. Caused some momentary heat, but it didn't didn't last. There was, and and, and I got to be honest, if they tried that again today, we both know the culture's different. It would it would literally be a raging inferno. That storyline. I mean, they 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 barely escaped. As it was, it was meant to get people talking. It just didn't sustain itself because I think people at the end of the day, they didn't feel good about Cap having that as part of his 
new canon. But Jimmy, beyond what what else is there? There's original. Oh, they had they had Jane they have Jane Foster Thor. So you know they trade you know changed you know they're you know one of the big th the genders of of one of the big three. They uh, introduced Kamala Khan, which was you know you know definitely looking for you know young young female readership you know from a diverse background. Oh, more you know, diverse. Who's Muslim. Diversity is a great thing. The comics industry is better off for it. But what corporate events? Um, uh, I just remember Original Sin was kind of a thud. And and, and no, there's. Uh, Correct. I mean, like around the times, isn't that where somebody kills the Watcher? Yes, yeah. So the, yes, they kill the Watcher in in Original Sin, and it seemed like Original Sin. I mean, it, it seemed like it was really tough timing because, like, even before Original Sin number one came out, they were already hyping Secret Wars, plural right. Secret Wars, behind it, saying, you know, this is where we change everything. This is where we, you know, condense our 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 universes, our multiverse. You know, this is going yeah, to be our crisis for the realms, which I, I got to tell you, every retailer I talked to felt that that overreached. It was too. Um, I couldn't possibly follow it. And I really feel for, you know, I, I like I've always said, like, if Dark Phoenix happened in today's market, it wouldn't be a year's worth of stories. It would be 36 stories in one year or, or more, because I would say it's 36, 36 stories in one month. Um I mean, it, it just how just how things are trending now. I mean, put it this way: what's going on right now in the Marvel universe is Empire, which is a which is a weekly series. So, I mean, it's like with with a ton with a ton of of spinoffs. And uh, I mean, we're we're two weeks in, and you know, I mean, we're we're already you know a couple of dozen, you know, you know about a dozen or so uh, titles in. So, I mean, it's it's very much par for the course, but it seems like this era, I mean, to me, what's interesting about this era, um, other than the fact that I can't believe I, I stayed in comics and I became this, this comic junkie, but um, it just seemed like that these turned out to be successful plays that that the publisher has has gone to and Marvel and DC have gone to on a number of different times. It's like, hey, we want to give some juice to to our icons. Well, let's switch them up for a while, you know. So you know, so the you know, so a public, you know, you know, yearns for you know, yearns for the original. There's no doubt that shifting to a character model was a smart move for them. Um, people can't understand. I'm just going to dwell on John Byrne for a minute. The guy as I said, was always good for two issues a month. There was a year, I think from 83 to 84, whatever weirdo, you know, scheduling snafu, it was obviously purposeful. Fantastic Four, which John Byrne wrote and drew, came out the same week as Alpha Flight, which John Byrne wrote and drew. So you got your two John Byrne fixes. One of the most popular guys in comics moves a lot of numbers for Marvel. We should say that when Alpha Flight was launched, it was the new number one book they had done. Uh, you know, I think, and then Secret Wars topped it. But I mean, he, John, a group of Canadian superheroes that John Byrne created, designed, named. You know, they don't exist without him. They are the top. It, 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 it's, it's really underscores how popular he was. He's leaving. He's gone to DC at this point. When this ad comes out, everything old is new again. He's gone. He's no longer doing two books for Marvel. He's not doing Fantastic Four and the Hulk. He's gone. And Frank Miller is gone. And Walt Simonson is downshifting. And George Perez has been gone. And guys like Howard Chaikin are now crafting the next new hot multi-maxi series at DC. And uh, and like I said, Marvel is not the, – the level of talent isn't there. So I, I would love to know the – discussions in the boardroom i know that there were discussions when me and my peers left how are we going to replace these guys these guys move a lot of numbers for us they they provide a lot of work i'm bringing that up because you better believe that john Byrne going to dc was a concern this guy is now going to go and fight against us on the sales charts by relaunching superman from number one and they got two bites of that number one apple man of steel one two three four five six then leads into superman number one and so so again they were utilizing and Marvel was definitely, they're so competitive. They pivoted. They wanted this character model. I think we can say it worked. I think we can say it worked. I don't think it's 
memorable. Um, I don't think it's it's it's. Uh, you know what? I think I think it was probably it's a, it's the best band aid, and it was probably the best thing for the Marvel brand moving forward as a whole. So I mean, it really I mean it's not in, that in, because it's a good thing for the Marvel brand it doesn't mean it's necessarily the best thing for the for the Marvel fan. I mean, and those are two completely distinct. Those are two completely distinct things. My, and my phone rang off the hook at Tustin Tunes and Toys in 1986, moving into 87. Where's Dark Knight? Where's Dark Knight 3? Where's Dark Knight 4? Where's Watchmen 10? Where's Watchmen 11? Where's Watchmen 12? Um, you know, those were those were the books that the phone rang off the hook for. We did not get calls on any of these, you know, moves that we're discussing right now, which again, doesn't mean that they weren't very successful. Because again, they 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 had to appear successful, and we're not going to get into it. But Marvel launched an entire new universe called the New Universe, which was dead and arrival tanked, complete tank job. Um, really, the probably the biggest nail in the Jim Shooter con coffin, and it hurts me to say that because, like I said, Jim Shooter wrote all my favorite Avengers stories. He's my favorite Avengers writer. Um, you know, but I think New Coke. Everything old is new again with Grey Hulk, Black Spider-Man costume, U.S. Agent, the silver and red armored Iron Man. And here's the deal, and this I know this for a fact. If that is your first comic when you're eight, those were your first. Those were those are your favorite versions of those characters. My my editor once told me, Rob, every time we kill off a character, we get tons of mail because you may think that character is a C minus a C plus level character, a D level character, but it's someone's favorite character somewhere. And they are going to let you hear it is someone's favorite and you're canceling it. You're getting rid of them. And on the flip of this is that version of Thor is somebody's favorite because it's their starting point. That version us agent is somebody's favorite. But again, Jimmy, I mean, we have still not airlifted out of the bronze age. I have been doing this you know, these observations can continue and there's so many nooks and crannies I haven't dived into. Um, but man, the bronze age, like you said, us agent, uh, the eternals master of Kung Fu, all the stuff I've, I've, I've said, I mean, we are still knocking on that door that, that, that is, is a tree that continues to bear fruit that they have not. So, so consider that when master of Shang Chi comes out in 2022, master of Kung Fu, <laughs> master of Kung Fu, Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu, when the Eternals come out, 2021, 2022, they're still taking stuff from 1977, 1976. It's unbelievable. But I do believe this was the end of the Bronze Age. This signaled the popular idea is that Watchmen and Dark Knight ended it with this new grim, gritty, more kind of realistic take on superheroes and, and things were darker. And at the same time, Marvel is completely shifting and, and, and trying to give you these new versions to kind of either distract you, excite you, move you in a different direction because the talent has kind of, you know, they're, they're in the last, they're either in their last contracts or they've already played them out. Right. And, and that's it. And that's, that's to me, it's, it's the end of the bronze era. This, this era, whatever you think of it, whether it was your favorite encountering it, it was definitely a precursor of everything that was to come as the new, the, the new talent rises. I just call them these guys. That, that's the easiest. There's seven of us. We had profound impact. That's, that's what is that? I mean, that's, that's hundreds of pages a month when you, you, you think of the seven of us and what we're moving in and what we're going to start doing in comics. And, uh, and it's exciting. And, and the history's there. The facts are there. But I just think, because I love that you sent me this picture. I love that we really, there's some good stuff in there. U.S. agent to me is a standout. Black costume Spider-Man is ridiculously successful. So, yeah, this entire era ended up being a precursor of everything that would come. No, no matter what we discussed today, that the, the the blueprint was there. The blueprint was there. Whether it's whether it's uh, Gray Hulk or 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 U.S. agent, the, the the blueprint that would come later on with 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 Red Hulk with uh, Riri as 
Ironheart wearing Iron Iron Man's armor, and Jane Foster becoming female Thor. All this stuff started here. This is where it started. The new Coke. This is the formula. Uh, th th this this is how it all came together. And Jimmy, I love picking your brain today, man. This was this was a blast looking all this over. Oh yeah, no, I mean, you know what? This fires me up. I mean, I think more than even the comics themselves. It's just that. You know, to know that this is, you know, that this is a merry-go-round that, you know, publishers will do from time to time uh, since that. I mean, and that's and that's kind of my biggest takeaway from from uh, the observation podcast is that, um, you know, trends start and, uh, you know, and they keep on coming back and coming back and coming back. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's like a good, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, like, you know, whether it's music, whether it's fashion you know, you name it, whether it's a style of movies, it's man, it's, uh, it's, you know, keep, people keep on coming back to the, I say keep it, on coming back to the hits. I say it time and again, the past informs the future and the past that we discussed today lays down a template that Marvel and others will follow time and again and again. And, uh, we have had the best time, uh, discussing this today, not my favorite era by any long shot, but they're not all home runs and they all have something in there to, 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 to apply, to learn. And it's all part of this great comics history. And as we plow towards the nineties, we're getting there. The late eighties is fun. It is upon us, but we are going to wrap it up today. We are going to thank Jimmy for joining us. Jimmy, where can the audience find you? They can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at uh, amazing comic con that's everything spelled out no funky spellings and you can also find us on our secondary account which is at amazing j brothers that's my last name amazing j brothers all spelled out and that's more of our retail side um you know so those are our places yeah cool you guys should check out jimmy when when when, when we start having shows again go to his shows in vegas Go to his show in Hawaii. Go to go to all his shows. They are the best. They're pure comic books. They're so much fun. Uh, you guys know the drill with me. I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. At Rob Liefeld. I, I I have a blue check there to 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 tell you that I'm real. It's the real me. It's not a phony account. The Twitter account is at Robert Liefeld. Full name at Robert Liefeld. Blue check there too to uh to to ward you off of the phonies. You guys. Thank you for joining us. We love talking comics. It is our obsession. It is our passion. I hope it is your obsession and it's your passion as well. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, we are going to talk to you again real, se real soon. In the meantime, you need to stay safe. You need to take care of yourself. And we are going to talk again. Thanks, guys.